Hello, I'm Bradley Hayes and I'm an FY2 doctor working in South East London. And welcome to the Class of Corona, a podcast for final year medical students about to start working in the NHS. We're now partnered with FDocs, a company that's produced a lot of content for FIY1s about to start. So if you haven't already, give them a check out. And please get in contact with us if you have any questions via the links in the description below, as we're about to do an episode on all your questions. Today's episode is on communication, so let's get on with the podcast. So, as an F1, you're going to spend a lot of time on the ward whilst your SHOs and seniors leave more often. When I was an F1, I actually saw the patients probably the most on my team and had the most contact with family members and patients. And that's a really good opportunity for you to build that relationship with patients and family members. So today we're going to be talking about difficult communications and day-to-day communications and a little bit about how COVID-19 has changed communications with patients and with family members. Uh, But before we get started, uh, would you all mind introducing yourselves? Hello, I'm Laura. I'm an F3 doctor currently working in paediatrics in London. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm an F3 on a respiratory ward in a London hospital. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm an FY3 working in intensive care in London. So what are day-to-day things that you find patients getting frustrated with and what can you do to help with that? So I think the thing that patients get frustrated with most in hospital is not being kept up to date. So if they're told on the ward round that they're going to have a scan or they're going to go home and then they don't see anyone for four hours and nothing happens, they often get quite frustrated and Often they've not been updated because you're busy trying to organise something or you're speaking to other people or dealing with unwell patients. And I think a really simple thing is just even just popping back in to say, oh, we're trying to get the scan done, but it looks like it's probably going to be tomorrow rather than today. Or we're working on the discharge paperwork. It'll be sometime this afternoon. Just little five, ten minutes to pop back in so that they know that you're still working on it. You're still keeping them in the loop and they're not sat there all afternoon just waiting because they have nothing else to do but sit and wait when they're in hospital. So taking that extra five minutes to keep people updated is just a really helpful thing that helps kind of stop people getting frustrated in hospital. I think as a junior doctor, you spend so much of your day dealing with um, doing doing these sort of, you know, uh, routine jobs, speaking to radiologists, organising scans, scans being cancelled, scans being delayed. It's very easy to, to, for that to become completely normal to you. But kind of like what Rachel was saying, that's not normal for these patients. If they're told that they're going to have a scan that day, that's what they're expecting. And often they'll be terrified about the result or the result's going to be the difference between them going home before the weekend or, you know, staying in hospital for a few days. So a lot of hopes and a lot of fears can be held on these little things that you say to them. And I think also if something that I began to realise is that if a patient's cross or frustrated or is being angry at stuff, often there's a reason behind it. And as the F1, you you will know the patients best. So taking five minutes to go and ask if they're okay, ask if there's anything that they want, finding out why are they being crossed, why are they frustrated, and just taking a bit of extra time. And often it's things like they're scared or they've been trying to get a cup of tea for the last hour and a half or they need a commode but the nurses are really busy. And doing little things that can help them like going and getting a commode or if they're in pain, making sure that they're getting their painkillers or just getting someone a cup of tea can help make everybody's life on the ward much easier. It means that the patients are happy. They feel like a person rather than just a number in a bed. They feel like people actually are looking out for them as well as trying to treat what's going on with them in history. I think it's little things like that make a bigger difference to patients than 
organising their scan or getting them home. I also had a colleague who I was on A&E with who would make a cup of tea for every single patient uh, that she that she saw in A&E. I personally didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and following on from that, as the most junior member on the team and being on the ward the most, you will be exposed to a whole range of different emotions by patients, by their relatives, sometimes people being cross, angry, upset, frustrated. And that's quite a lot for one person to deal with and be exposed to. Please don't take it personally. Uh, most of the time, this is not going to be aimed directly at you. It's, it's general frustration at another situation. And you're just the person receiving that feedback on behalf of, of the medical team on the ward. And you feel yourself becoming a bit emotionally overwhelmed with what you're hearing and what you're having to listen to. Just remove yourself from that situation and go and talk to someone else about it and um, to make sure that you're looking after yourself as well. I think often you're, you're in really hard situations, you're having difficult communications and sometimes that can be quite hard for you. Often if you can just say, look, I'm thinking this, was I being unreasonable, was it fair for them to say this to me? And you just have a talk with the rest of the shows. I think it's really reasonable for to affect you some of these conversations sometimes. I mean, I think for me, when I look back to my first few weeks of working, I knew that patients were scared and that this was something that was you know one of the worst or a unique point point in their life and was something that I was seeing quite often but the difficulty that I had then was was knowing what I could say and what I couldn't say when you're a medical student there's always this feeling of well I don't want to say anything that might be wrong because I'm stepping on the toes of the medical team or I don't want to kind of speak above my station don't forget that you know by the virtue of you being here in this position you are now a qualified doctor you know you've done your exams you've got your registration and you know that means that you you do to an extent know what you're talking about and you if people are asking about um about their treatment plans you know if you if you feel that you understand the treatment plan you can explain that to them um that's something that i found was different to when i was a medical student where i didn't often feel that i was i had the the permission i suppose to discuss those things with patients um the caveat the obvious caveat to that is you know don't go speaking about things that you don't quite understand and don't go making promises or claims about their treatment or about the success rates and that sort of thing that you don't have the answers to. But I think for most F1s, you know, that you, you're sensible, you know, not to, not to say things out of line, but just, you know, feel that you, you have got the, the confidence and you are allowed to actually explain things to a patient that may not have explained, been explained properly on the ward round. I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Don't underestimate how much you've learned over the last six years you have a fantastic amount of knowledge and you spending five minutes to explain what heart failure is in a really simple, easy to understand way. These are really important things that you can do and you can share that information with patients really well. If you're having a difficult conversation with a patient, if now you shouldn't really be in this situation as an F1, but you may have to kind of break some bad news to that patient. And obviously there is a spectrum of, of bad news. Um, when we talk about you know breaking bad news, the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is is, is cancer. Um, but there are lots of other conversations that you have to have with a patient that you're telling them something which is new and that might be worrying them and maybe not what they want to be hearing. Um, if you are worried about that, don't go into that conversation alone. Um, the nursing staff will be usually more than happy to to come in with you, and it's really good sometimes to have two people there when you're having a conversation that may be a bit more difficult. Um, a, because sometimes if you're explaining something and it's not coming across well, the other person can 
can chip in and give a slightly different perspective. And B, I think it just gives the patient uh, a bit more support. Um, and C, some, if, if there's something that's been discussed that's a bit more contentious, it's also good to have you know, another, another pair of ears there and someone that isn't you that can recount what was said in a, in a more objective way. Um, if for, big, for big conversations, this is the norm. If you're having a sort of real life-changing conversation, the, the usual practice is to have more than one person there, and usually that would be a doctor and a nurse. But particularly when you're starting off, if you are worried about how a conversation is going to go, don't be don't be afraid to to ask one of the nursing team, particularly the nurse that's been looking after that patient. Would you mind coming coming in with me and giving me a hand? And um, what can you do if you're the second person, you're the support that's come in to help with that difficult conversation? I think if you are that support person, if you are the second person in the room, the main thing is to be to, is to listen. Really, um, it might be tempting to to butt in and say things, and you might think I could explain that better. But often that's not needed, actually. And that you know you may be asked asked to speak, and there may be certain things that you feel that have been missed that you can add in. But I think really just to to, to take on a sort of active support role rather than um, rather than it being two people explaining something. I know that when I've been in a situation where I've been explaining something and then someone else is sitting there and they're sort of jumping in all the time and it can throw you off and it can just make the whole thing seem a little bit more, um, more of a sort of us v them dynamic. So if you are that support person, just, just sit back, listen. And if there's a pause or if there's a silence, that's a nice time to, to add anything you think may be missed. And I think before you go into the room with whoever's leading that conversation, you can always just ask them before you go into the room, is there anything in particular you'd like me to look out for? If there is a pause, if there is a silence, would you like me to say, if you look at me in a certain way, do you want me to say something? You can ask them how would they prefer you to support them the best in that situation? Because like Andrew said, everyone's different in terms of how they like to communicate with patients and kind of what their style is, so to speak. Another role that you could have as the support person in the room, as well as um, listening, is also just kind of keeping an eye on the general dynamic of the room. There might be more than one relative in the room, and obviously the person who's leading the conversation only has one pair of eyes, and they're likely to be aiming those eyes at the person they're talking to. They may not be able to see the facial expressions or the acute reactions of other people in the room. Um, and so if you can see that another member of the family perhaps is getting a bit teary in the corner, um, you could just subtly make that um, kind of obvious to the person that someone's upset or you're just aware of it and it could just be there the next um, kind of obvious opportunity that you could turn to them and just say, are you okay? There's something in particular that you'd like to ask at the moment. And I think just think about how you would want to be spoken to. So if you, if you want to check a patient's okay or you, they want to speak to you about something, they're going to shut down and they're going to be frustrated if they feel like you're rushing around and you're just slipping them in and you will be busy but just taking a few minutes to sit down or to get down to their level rather than standing at the end of their bed looking at the clock while you're trying to explain something little things like that will make a huge difference about how they feel coming away from the end of a conversation I think we're going to move now on to talking to family members so are there any tips and tricks you guys have learned about talking to family members so I think the most important thing when you're talking to family members is make sure you know who it is that you're talking to, whether or not that's in person or at the moment more likely over the phone, it's important that you know, are they the person's named next of kin? Every hospital differs, but main policies are that you can only give information to the next of kin. And in most cases, you need to have the patient's permission to be able to talk to them. So it's just confirming who, sorry, who am I speaking to? How are you related to the patient? 
do you mind if I just go and double check that they're happy for me to talk to you? And those things like that, although you might be worried that patients and their families will get frustrated that you're not just talking to them, actually, it is really important that you know who it is you're updating. Some patients don't want their families being updated for whatever reason that it's none of our business to get into. If you give away information that that patient doesn't want you to, it might end up causing more trouble down the line. So just take five minutes at the start to confirm exactly who it is that you're talking to. Many um, wards, many units will have um, passwords for patients. The nurse looking after the patient or the nurse in charge will know about any arrangements like that, particularly at the moment where, because of COVID, um, there's restrictions to visitors being allowed to come into hospital. A lot more of these conversations are happening over the phone. And at least in my experience, there's a lot more use of passwords um, for patients. And in terms of sort of actually what you say to families, I think I personally find it really useful to say, when was the last time you spoke to your relative and what's your understanding of what's going on so that you know what they know? Um, it gives you a bit of an idea of do they understand exactly what's going on so that if you are about to tell them that actually they're quite unwell and they haven't spoken to them for a week and the last time they spoke to them they were completely fine, it allows you to be a bit more prepared going into the conversation. So just sort of taking that minute to be like, when did you last speak to them and what do you understand about what's currently going on with them? So... Obviously, we're all very busy on the ward, and I think it is really important to take time to update family members. Um, often, there'd be multiple family members coming in, and they want separate updates. If you are struggling for time and you don't have time, it is reasonable to um, ask the next of kin if they're around and to sort of distribute that to other members of their family. It's not necessarily your job to update each family member separately, um, but if you can, that's always a, a good thing to do, and if you do have time. A lot of times a family member might come in at 8pm and they'll ask the on-call doctor to come and explain what's happening with the relative and actually you, you don't know what's going on with that patient. A really good thing to do is, is just to say that the nurse who's looking after that patient will know the patient a lot better than you do and they can give updates to the patient's family members. One thing that was really hammered to me when I first started was about documentation. You're going to be in conversation, you may not be leading the conversations, but you're probably going to be the one documenting. So what tips and tricks do you have for documenting a difficult conversation? So I think with any conversation, an important thing to document is who was present. Your title will be maybe discussion about escalation status or discussion about test results. And then underneath that, just put an extra line of who was present and who was leading the conversation, whether it's you and a consultant or you and a nurse or you and a specialist nurse, because it just lets everybody know who witnessed the conversation and what was going on there. You don't have to write out word for word what was said. There's not enough space in any kind of notes anywhere to write that. Just getting the salient points down and a really good way to put it down is to put it into bullet points, which makes it very easy for people to write. Make sure you've put down everybody's key points, what the patient thought, what the family thought, what your points you're putting across. And then maybe a little summary of the end of outcome and what the plan that was agreed was so that someone can quickly get to the bottom and see actually what was decided and what's the action going forward from here. Um, another thing to think about is just avoid using too many subjective terms um, in your, try and avoid using too many kind of adjectives or vary this a lot that, um, particularly if you're writing about a strong reaction that a member of the team has had, be it the patient, a relative, if someone's become, become angry or upset, just avoid going into um, too many kind of descriptive terms or anything like that. Try and keep what you're writing as objective as possible. I thought the last thing that we could talk about would be about how coronavirus has changed our communications with patients and with relatives. 
So I think the main change that we've already touched on is that actually relatives aren't allowed to come in and visit family members. All of your communication is over the phone and family members are obviously they're very concerned, they're very anxious when they're ringing. They're not getting that much information because they're not able to come in themselves. And so you're dealing with relatives who are quite anxious on the phone and want hearing worrying things in the news. So I think it really strikes that you need to be reassuring and you need to kind of be open and honest about how things are. But also don't be afraid to maybe ask seniors to take those calls if you don't feel kind of comfortable enough to be breaking news that patients are deteriorating. This is quite a difficult time in hospitals at the moment and there is the senior support around and available so make sure that you're using it. I think that was a really good discussion. I'd just like to finish with a top takeaway message from everyone. So I think my top tip would be that in the last five or six years, you've learned loads about clinical medicine and that you actually have a lot more information that you can give out than you probably realise that you do. So you can explain simple concepts to patients and that's really useful for them. I think my top tip is don't underestimate the importance of small things to patients in hospitals. Small things like making somebody a cup of tea um, can make a huge difference in how they feel and making them feel like actually people are looking after them and that you do care about them and you're there to make sure that they're okay. Mine would be for any difficult conversation that you're going to be a part of, whether you're there as a support person or as the person leading the difficult conversation, make sure that you're well prepared for that conversation. And my top tip would be if you're feeling um, worried about a conversation or you think that it may be a difficult conversation, always make sure that, that somebody else comes in with you just to give you that extra support. Thank you so much, guys. Our next session is going to be on being on call. So... 